Most of us, day in and day out, we just need each other. We need somebody to look at us when we're down, with our face in the dirt, and just go, hey, brother, keep going. You're going to make it. Look, I was just where you were, and I made it. See, you can make it too. I promise you, you can. And we've been studying in Ecclesiastes how, how Solomon's been going through this whole like, test of his faith, and, and like he's just trying to figure things out. And, and he goes and he tests the world to see if there's anything good out there. And, and, then, and then we actually read in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 last week, we actually read that, that he says that, that whatever you do, whatever, and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are the gifts from God. And, and he says, he says, you're supposed to, whatever you're doing, and, 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 and we've heard these terms before, whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. Do it for, with, with God in, in mind. Do it with the heart of God at the center. And that gives whatever you're doing, it gives you purpose, right? It gives you a place. It gives you a focus so that you say, man, I'm doing this with, with a mindset and fixated on the things of God and the heart of God, and that's why I'm doing it. So I have a greater reason to enjoy everything that I'm going through day after day after day, the good and the bad. And today we're going to be talking about, admittedly, Solomon gets a little, I mean, he gets kind of frustrating here, well, frustrating and frustrated. Um, he kind of gets frustrated with God. Maybe you have been in this place, and maybe you understand where he's coming from. Maybe you're in this place right now. I know I've been in this place before. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, man, this guy, he, he starts talking. And I've said before, it sounds like Solomon's got the gift of discouragement, does it not? Like, man, this is, but it's real life. I mean, I appreciate somebody being real with me. I would rather that somebody just tell me the truth straight up as opposed to trying to sugarcoat it for me, trying to make it something that it's really not. Look, just tell it to me straight. I can either deal with it or I'm going to walk out the door, but at least I'll have gotten the truth. And uh, hopefully my prayer is that that's the way we are here at Simple Church. Like, we want to be there to encourage each other to get up and, and keep going, but at the same time, we don't want to sugarcoat things and make them seem like something they aren't. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, this is what we read. Verse 1 says, again, I observed all oppression that takes place under the sun. So this is everything in life that sucks, right? Like, I have observed it. I've seen it. Like, I don't know if you're supposed to say sucks in church, but it does, you know? I have observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. Look, I've seen hurt. One of the things I can tell you about ministry, man, is I have seen so much hurt. I have seen so many people abused physically. I, that's actually... One of the things that's the biggest struggle for me in ministry is, is um, sexual abuse that happens, especially to young girls. That, that is something that you see so much of, is so prevalent in this world today. I don't, I mean, I know that it, it, it's been prevalent before, but in my mind, it's like, man, this has got to be the worst time in history. It just seems so terrible. I mean, you see it day after day after day on the news, and I'm like, man, what is going on in our world Solomon goes on to say, I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. So I concluded, this is, okay, so doesn't sound good so far. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. Wow, Solomon, can you cut us a break, man? Can you give us just a little something good here at the beginning? Does every chapter have to start out bad? 
Like, do we have to be so beat down and so worn out by the time we get to verse 5 that, like, we don't want to even go on? Like, I mean, it, it, it's, it's rough, right? It doesn't get much better. He says, but, the mo- but most fortunate are all those who are, yet, who are not yet born. For they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. He says, not only are dead people better off than we are because they, they're done with it, right? Like, they got past it all. They suffered through it. They lasted, and they, they put up with it as long as they could, and then they died. So now they're better off. And, and he says, but better than that are the people who haven't had to endure it yet, the ones that have not been born yet, and they haven't had to see the ugliness and the destruction in this world. They haven't had to be beat down and oppressed like some of the people that are already dead. You know, this is one of the things that, that scares people about having kids. Am I right? There, you hear this generation after generation. I don't know if I want to bring kids into this ugly, terrible world. I don't know if I want to have kids so they can go through all the things that I went through or see all the things that I saw because I know I saw some nasty, ugly stuff. And I don't know if I want to put a kid through that. And some of you that are parents have probably had that, that thought in your mind before you had kids. And you're like, man. Or maybe you're looking at your child when they're, they're laying in the crib or, or, or maybe just right after they're born and go, and you just think, wow, what are they going to have to endure? What are they going to be going through? What are they going to face in life? Are they going to have to face the same things that I face? Is it going to be, it's going to be worse for them? Is it going to be better for them? I, I hope to make a better life for them, but, but, but man, just to think about all they're going to have to face in their life. I mean, it's heartbreaking, is it not? When you think about all those things, man, it's crushing. And here Solomon's just saying, look, I get it. Like, those that have not been born yet are, are, are better off because they haven't seen all the evil that's been done. Then he goes on to say this. Then I observed the, that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this, too, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I'm going to read that again. I observed that most people are motivated to success because of the envy of their neighbors. Now, you say, oh, that's not me. I'm not like that. And you just grin and you're like, yeah. Most people buy Starbucks coffee not because it tastes so great, but because they like to have that Starbucks cup in their hand. No, they like the way that it looks when they go into the office in the morning. You know I'm right. I mean, you can sit there and go, no, not me. I like the way it tastes. They put extra caramel in mine. No, for the most part, it's about... It's about having that cup and that little logo in your hand. Am I right? Or, or what about the car that you just bought? The most, think about the most recent car that you just bought. Did you buy that because you really needed a car, or is it because you just kind of want everybody to see your car and like your car and wish they had your car? Think about what motivated you at the dealership. Like, Now, you don't say this out loud because that makes you look really pompous and arrogant, but you say it in the back of your mind like, man, I want to be rolling up in here, and I want people to see my ride, and I want them to be like, ooh, I want one of them. And, and, and you bought the 2018 model, and then the 2019 models come out, and they're way better than your 2018 model, right? And like you're, you're watching them, and you're like, Oh, maybe I got to have a 2020 model, right? So that's the way we're in this vicious cycle. And, and he says that, that, that most of your motivation to success is because you are looking to your neighbors and seeing what 
what do they have? What are they going to be most impressed by me having? And it's just reality. It's straight talk here from Solomon a little bit. But man, this, this is what motivates us most of the time. It's not because we really need something. It's because our neighbors and the envy of our neighbors kind of motivate us to do something else, right? Well, I mean, even think about something as simple as your clothes. Are you wearing the clothes that you wear because this is the clothes that you wanted and you really needed, or are you wearing the clothes that you wanted to wear because you wanted somebody to see you and think about how you are and, and be envious of the way that you dressed or fixed your hair or your hair color or your earrings or whatever? I mean, like, like maybe, maybe you like got a lot of chest hair and you like the gold necklace hanging down in it. You know, I don't know what your situation is, but... but <laughs> But you do it because you're... <laughs> Bobby's back there shaking his head. He's like, no, I, I got a lot of chest hair, but I don't like the gold necklace. So, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but we do it a lot of times because we are motivated by our neighbors. and we're, we're motivated by other people, not necessarily because of what we need or, or, or because of our own internal motivations. It's usually because of our neighbors. And he says, oh, he sees, I've seen this, and it, this too is, is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Like... He's just looking for another reason to say something's meaningless. That's the way you feel when you read Ecclesiastes. He goes on to, to quote Proverbs. He says, fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And yet, better to have one handful uh, of quietness than two handfuls of hard work and chasing the wind. Just talking about the futility. And then he goes on in, in verse 7 and says, I observe yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is called all alone without a child or a brother, yet works hard uh, to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all meaningless and depressing. This is what he says. Like th This may speak to uh, the person that feels lonely, you know, and, and you... You can be around a lot of people and still feel lonely. Am I right? That's, it's, loneliness is a, is a reality of things that we deal with, right? And here, he's talking about a man who doesn't really have family, per se, but he's still working. He's still trying to, to, to make something of himself. And, and he, he gives an example here of somebody that doesn't have a child, doesn't have a brother, and like, why am I doing all this? Why am I, why am I working hard? I got my my nose to the grindstone and I'm doing all this hard work when I could be out there just living it up and, you know, doing whatever I want to, but yet I choose to get up and, and go to work five days a week. And I'm working even 60 hours a week, you know? Like, what is it for? What is it accomplishing? I, I know that, that there's a reality for some people that are single and they wonder you know, what am I doing this for? What am I accomplishing? You know, because when my life's over with, it's just going to be over with. It's not really going to have any impact on anybody because, because I'm single. And, and the reality is for some of our, uh, you know, young adults, this is something that they really face a lot. And that is like, am I going to get married? Am I going to have somebody to have children with? Am I going to grow old with somebody? Am I going to, am I going to, Am I, all these questions like, am I going to buy a house and, and have a family with somebody or is it just going to be me? And that's reality. And that's, that's something that people deal with all the time. Well, Solomon does let up on us here. 
Solomon does give us some insight. Solomon does finally kind of let us off the hook. And he's like, all he's got is these questions. Man, this is all meaningless. This is all purposeless. What are we accomplishing? It's like chasing the wind. Over and over again, he says these things. But he's actually going to give us some insight here. And it's at the very end of this, this passage. And I really believe, well, there's so many things that I, I just kind of want to point out here. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Now, this is exactly what, what I was talking about at the beginning of the message, which was seeing two people together, they're often able to accomplish more, right? So you're saying, okay, well, in, in light of what you just said about singleness, this sounds like this is more depressing, like you're, you're making things worse by pointing this out. Hang on just a minute, and you can see what we're actually talking about here. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who, is, who falls alone is in real trouble. Yesterday, I was, um, I was basically, you know, I started out in Talladega. I think by the time I got halfway through the race, I was in Silicaga. But I was there, and I was looking around, and there was nobody. Like, there was nobody around. And I mean, I didn't see nobody running. I didn't know if I was off the course. I didn't know where I was. And I come up on this obstacle, and it's called the cliffhanger, and you got to climb up this thing backwards kind of thing, and you're hanging there, and I'm, you know, struggling to hang on, and I got to get over the top of it, and I'm sitting there, I'm hanging on by a thread, it's this slippery metal pole, and I'm trying to climb over it, you know, and I go, if I fall here, it's not going to be good, because there ain't nobody to call for help, there ain't nobody around nowhere, it's just going to be me and the grass for about three hours until they find me, you know, it's not going to be good, and, and, I, I mean, I really struggled with that. I was like, I think I should be a little careful here because this could be bad. Um, I think somebody probably would have come up on me in, in 20, 30 minutes, but after laying there with a broke back, I don't know that I would have enjoyed that for 30 minutes, you know? But here we see if somebody falls, the other can help them up. They can pick them up. When you're not alone, it's beneficial that you have somebody there to help you up. What most Christians do not have in their life is somebody that will call them out on their junk, that will, call, will be an accountability partner for them, that will say, look, I know this is hard for you to hear, but it's even harder for me to say. And you talk to somebody. Do you have somebody like this in your life where you talk to somebody and say, look, I see this in your life and it is of a concern to me and you need to be careful here and if something does happen, I want you to know that I'm here to help you along and help you back up if you fall. This is, I think this is one of the, the biggest things that is missing from most people's walk with Christ. It's somebody very close to them that is also in pursuit of Christ in the same way that, that can actually talk to them on real terms. A lot of times we come in here and, and you know, it looks like everything's good with, with our brothers and sisters, right? Like they're all singing and, and we're all pumped up and we're talking about, you know, messages and podcasts and all this kind of stuff. And we're all, I mean, it looks like everybody's good, but the reality is when we go home or when, when Monday morning comes around or Tuesday morning comes around and those things creep back into our lives that, that I mean, that really bring us down, you need somebody in your life you need an accountability partner, a partner in your walk with Christ that can help you up when you fall and can call you out on some of the junk that they see in your life. But most of the time, this doesn't happen. 
Most of the time this doesn't happen. There's also another part of this too, and that is that people come in, in, into church on Sunday mornings and they say, man, that's good. I really, I, I resonate with that. I hear that. God's really spoken to me through that. But then I'll say, man, you need to be part of a small group. You need to come on Sunday night and you need to, to sit down with some other brothers and sisters in Christ that are going through the same junk that you're going through and you just need to talk to them. They're not going to quiz you on a bunch of scripture and they're not going to ask you if you can memorize the books of the Bible. It's not like that. It is, it is people walking with Christ with you. Doing life together is, is what we're called to do. You know why? Because if you fall, you're going to need somebody to help you back up. And if you don't already have that in place, what is going to happen to you? You're just going to stay down in the dirt. You're going to lay there and you're going to be hurting and, and you're going to be wondering if anybody cares. See, you need to set that up early in your life. But we make all kinds of excuses. Uh, the number one excuse I get from my, my college students is this. So if you're in the 20-somethings age range that you know you're supposed to be part of my small group, but you don't want to be. The number one reason is, oh, I'll get to that some other time. Yeah, when I, when I get older, when I, when, I, you know, when I do this, when I do that, and there's like all these endless excuses of when I, when I, when I, when I, then I'll do it. The problem is, is you need this so desperately right now. And, and, and some people in here, it makes you uncomfortable when I talk about small groups, and I get that. It makes you uncomfortable when I talk about small groups because you know you need to be part of one, but you're not. I'm not telling you to be part of a small group so I can check some box and say, we've got this many people in small groups, we've done a good job. You need to be part of a small group because you need somebody to help you up when you fall down. You need somebody to be able to talk straight with you about your walk with Christ. The reason that you're struggling with doing that is because you struggle with humility. You struggle with being humble enough with your own reality of who you are to be able to say, you know what, they're right. Most people don't want somebody in their life to tell them that they're wrong, especially not somebody that they care deeply about. If you're walking through life with this person and you've trusted them to pack your chute, so to speak, you don't want them to call you out on your junk. It requires a deep sense of humility for you to get to that point. It requires you to say, you know what? I'm not perfect. Neither are you. We're going to try. We're going to try. This one thing I tell my 20-somethings my all the time is, you know, you know what God really expects you to do right now? He expects you to try. To try. You know, so many times that we set this bar of perfection up here for ourselves, and we think I'll never achieve that, so it gives us an excuse to fall short. Instead... Instead, you know what we should do? We should try. That's one of the things that, that I, I, I faced yesterday a lot as I was running this race. It's like, I'm looking at some of these obstacles and going, I'm never going to make it. It's not going to happen. I'm too exhausted. My arms are giving out. My legs are giving out. I'm hurting all over my body. I just want to lay in the dirt and die. But when I look up at this obstacle, I go, you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to try. If I fail, then I fail. Fine. But I'm at least going to try. Most people look at it and go, no, that ain't for me, man. That looks too hard for me. As Christians, let me tell you, I really believe, I really believe that we should try. When it comes to a small group, you know what you should do when it comes to a small group? You should try. You should try. 
You should at least go and see it and, and try it out and say, man, is this, is this something that, that God is speaking to me through? Is this something I need to be a part of? Is this something that's important in my life? You need to at least try. You need to at least try. Because it's hard when you're alone. It's hard when you're alone. We look for so many ways to make ourselves fit in, to, to be part of a group or something so we don't feel weird and outcast and all those kinds of things. But we've got a golden opportunity with a bunch of Christians who want to get together and talk about Jesus and talk about how much they love one another, and yet we won't try that. I don't understand. I, I don't get it. We want to fit in everywhere else in the world, but we don't want to fit in when it comes to a small group. We don't even want to give that a shot. Part of it's because of our lack of humility, the lack that somebody may say, you know what, there's something I see in your life and something that's not okay, and I don't want you to struggle with this. I want to be there for you. I want to walk with you in life through this. And if you fall, I'm going to be there. And those things are hard to hear. So we don't try. Listen to what he says in uh, verse 11. Likewise, two people lying close to each other can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Now, some of my single 20-something guys are like, oh, yeah, I hear you here. Two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but, but how can one be warm alone? So if you think about in this particular area of the world that we're talking about in the Middle East, it gets very cold at nighttime. There's a lot of wind, a lot of, a lot of just, I mean, it's just a very cold environment at nighttime. The desert gets very cold at night, you know that, so it's very similar to that. It's very cold at night. So this is something that, that the people could have resonated with uh, when they heard this. Because, man, you know, it, it, it gets very cold. And, and if you think about it, especially at night, isn't that when people feel most alone? Is it nighttime? Isn't that when you feel most isolated? If you've got somebody there in your darkest moments of your life, when it seems like the lights have gone out and everything is bad around you, literally, some of the darkest moments in your life, you know what is so beneficial? It's just to have somebody there. It doesn't have to be a spouse. It doesn't have to be a mom or a dad. It can actually be a mom or a dad that, that Christ has brought into your life, somebody that has poured into you and been a mentor to you, maybe through your church family. I've said this before, and I'll say it again because I really believe it's true, that God fills in the gaps. If you're a young man or a young woman, and, and maybe, maybe your parents are not real good to you, or maybe you got a dad that walked out on you. I don't, I don't know what the situation might be. But if you will open up your heart and open up your life to the people in, in, your, in your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, I really believe that somebody will show up in your life that can pour that into you. It's not the same as having a mom or a dad that does that for you. But man, it's something that God gives you to fill in those gaps, to fill in those holes and voids that you have in your life. You may have lost a family member. They may have died. If you, I promise you, I promise you, if you open up your life and open up your mind to what God is actually doing, you will see a profound thing happen, and that is the way that God just kind of pours things into that emptiness in your life. For me, I can tell you that, that my daughter passed away. Um, and, and this past Thursday was a tough day for us because that was her birthday. I mean, you know what we had? We had so many of our 20-somethings 
or so many of our 20-somethings gone on now to be 30-somethings that just that would text us and say, hey, I know you're hurting today and I love you. Thank you for being there for me. I want to be there for you. It's not the same as me having my daughter, okay? And I don't want you to confuse this. It's not the same. But I, I want to tell you, it's profoundly helpful to have those people pouring into you and just, just texting you and saying they love you or looking you in the eyes and say, man, you've made an impact on my life. Thank you for doing that. But you got to open yourself up. You got to try. You got to be want, you got to want to be part of that community of believers that God's got circling you right now. I mean, if you were to, to look to your right and to your left, you would see a bunch of people, most of them you don't even know. But the question is, will you try to get to know him? Will you do your best to allow God to, to do those amazing things that he needs to do in your life? 